Welcome to the Move More Pain-Free Podcast with your host, Rory Finch. Over the last seven years, I've both researched and worked with elite-level sports and private injury clinics to master the skills to not only assess and to manage, but to prevent and rehabilitate sports injuries. It's my passion and vision to provide these services to be freely used with elite-level sports and to be accessible to you, the individual, the sports team or the coach at any recreational sports. This is used to overcome barriers to injury and also training obstacles to allow you to enjoy the participation and to understand the process to improve your performance and minimise your injury risk. Over the coming episodes, myself and the selected guests will provide you with the tools and the knowledge to not only guide your training to be more effective, but to recover optimally and to therefore move more pain-free. So let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Move More Pain-Free podcast. I hope you've all been well, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Bradley from fit for function who is a personal trainer, strength conditioning coach, and soon-to-be physiotherapist. And in today's episode, we're going to talk around stages of rehabilitation, but also around how you might be start to pick up some pointers of where you might be in your injury stage and potentially what the steps are would be. There's a keen focus around ankle um, strains, sprains, um, and so what we'll do is we'll be delving a bit deeper into seeing how you can overcome injury and then follow the necessary steps to prevent injuries from arising or at least reducing them from arising, but also how you can improve your performance. So buckle up, grab a note and pen, and if you're looking to get extra tips, make sure you follow us for the next episode. So without further ado, Bradley, you know, give us a bit of an insight in terms of what you're doing, your methods, your values, and kind of your aspirations, I suppose, for your, for your business. Yeah, cheers for the, uh, cheers for the intro. And it's an, I didn't realise I was the first one back on the Facebook Live, so yeah. what, a, what a pleasure that is. Um, I guess at the moment right now, what I'm doing is I'm predominantly running the business Fit for Function, which is a uh, coaching service. We offer coaching coaching programs and one-to-one coaching to uh, a whole variety of, of individuals and also some teams and groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's my occupation. That's my work right now that, that encompasses coaching um, delivering content and things like that and then what I'm also up to is I'm, I'm studying for my physiotherapy master's degree like you said Rory so I've got uh, a couple hand-ins left and then by the end of the year I'll be I'll be finished so fingers crossed that also means I'll have passed and I'll be registered uh it'll be it'll be awful if we watch this back and I've not but <laughs> we're not going to talk about that at all can you delete that video please Rory <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely going to ask you to delete this if I, if for some reason I'm not. But no, um, my background is uh, I sort of played sport when I was younger, played football um, in academy football, and then also did athletics. And then that led me down the route of sort of being obsessed with what makes people good at their sport when I wasn't good enough to make it to the to the top level. So that led me to do an undergrad in sports and exercise science. And that's where I sort of fell in love with strength and conditioning, um, gathered my personal training qualifications so that I could initially just start coaching people and then started working with athletes, got onto the internship at the uni, spent some time abroad coaching. And then once I came back from the States, that's where I really sort of fell in love with, with the whole world of strength and conditioning and sort of, fell under this idea that 
anyone could benefit even if they weren't in sport because some of the really general goals that I had, like getting stronger, getting fitter, being sort of even just happier and more energetic, actually a lot of those secrets are, are in a way unlocked in elite sport. They sort of know roughly how to do a lot of those things quite well. But actually what I'd learned on my personal training course wasn't really covering these these bits of information and these studies. So that's what led to the start of Fit for Function, um, very sort of driven by evidence, but also spent a hell of a lot of time in practice. So trying to use experience as much as research to drive what we try and do with with athletes and, and general physical preparedness, which is a nice way for coaching non-athletes with maybe athletic or performance-based goals as well. Mega. No, that's amazing. I think yeah, similar to thing to me when I first started out, I think we, we spoke about this before we came alive, and that experience of not reaching that level in your maybe younger ages of through sport, and that's how, is that, how would you say that's had a, a drive for you to, to treat people or at least allow them to be better and fitter and faster and stronger it is. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's a huge driver, especially because um, I was very fortunate to be able to be at, at like the top level of where I could have been at a time. And I didn't necessarily get strength and conditioning or, or high performance coaching outside of the skill of football. Um, athletics was a whole different ball game. It's a very different sport. Um, but in terms of academy football, there wasn't much strength conditioning around at the time when I was when I was involved. And being at the club I was at, we didn't necessarily we weren't sort of like a Man City, Liverpool. I was playing at Coventry Academy. So if you've been to Coventry, you can sort of imagine where that puts us in regard to your big clubs. So when I see when I see individuals now or athletes now with with some sort of goal and I can I can relate to where they're at in terms of do they want to get to the next level or do they actually just want to do what they love for longer without more barriers? So mm -hmm. for me, it's a real driver because if someone wants to use strength conditioning, um, performance techniques to get to the next level, um, you can really sell them on that idea because it's really helped me in the past. But also it's you just want to play football or go for runs without without loads of pain. Uh that's hugely motivating as well because that's what I've done for the majority of, of my uni life. I've not played much sport through uni actually competitively. So I've basically spent four or five years playing around with, with strength conditioning and seeing what I enjoy. So yeah, I think it drives pretty much everything I do really. There you go. No, good. And, and for those of that will not be aware. Um, so, you know, people in our group in this private group uh, may not be aware of what strength conditioning is. So, Break it down and maybe just kind of some simple terms so people can understand it a bit more if that's if that's okay. Yeah, no, of course, of course. I mean, there's I'll probably I'll probably spark a few arguments. Um with some, <laughs> I, won't, I won't give a, a proper definition, but I think simply for me, strength and conditioning is is the ideas around performance. So you're looking at either strengthening characteristics of performance or you're looking at the ability to repeatedly do performance tasks so that means strength could mean also any performance quality getting stronger faster quicker more explosive and then conditioning can mean doing those tasks for longer 
Um, I like to sprinkle in an element of doing those things for longer without pain into the conditioning side of things. Um, because some, some athletes or individuals don't need to run long distances and don't necessarily want to, but they may need to repeatedly sprint or repeatedly lift. Um, and that has an element of conditioning as well. Um, I'd put anything under performance in that bracket of strength and conditioning. <laughs> no, good. I think that's a really good kind of uh, consistent breakdown. Uh, I always look at it as you're trying to develop a certain quality. You know, with that, you'll yeah. have some progressive loading in whatever aspect, whatever it is. Um, so that's good. And perhaps maybe you're not thought of this yet, but how are you bringing physiotherapy into your business then? Or what is your plan or idea i think you know where do you have an idea yet are you going to see where it takes you is it going to be a ref, like an internal referral system kind of what i don't know that's a massive question um massive question i'm going to give too much away i'll try not to but the i the idea for me regarding physio is i will initially move into hospital rotations and the the driver for me with that is to further my learning and development in, in the best way possible. So fully immerse myself in as many types of physiotherapy as quickly and as in, in the most varied way possible. Mm -hmm. um, initially, we won't offer physiotherapy through the business, at least through myself. Um, the, the business, the company Fit for Function has Ellie Petch at the moment who manages a lot of sort of acute rehab um, and then we'll talk about early, early and late and, and phases of rehab later on. But Ellie will manage a lot of the therapy needs and, and the mm -hmm. early stages. Um, and that will also be with any club or team or individual physios. Um, and then from there, I will I will continue to manage or, or work with those therapists on on late stage return to play, return to sport you might call it a return to baseline, which would mean pre-injury. Um, and yeah, we'll see what happens with, with the physiotherapy side for me. It may be that I, I start doing a lot more physiotherapy through the business, but I think at least for the first year or probably two years, there'll be very little physiotherapy done by me through Fit for Function. Yeah. Uh, I think that will just be for me to continue learning more than anything. Excellent. Okay, good. Brilliant. Um, I think we've just got uh, Chris. He's just logged on. So evening, Chris. Thanks for coming along. Um, if you've got any questions, um, he's, uh, Chris's background is into a lot of endurance sports and stuff. So, um, Oh, awesome. So if you've got any questions, Chris, regarding uh, you know rehab, performance training, stuff like that, then do just uh, chip in. Um, and anyone else that's jumping on, you know, give, introduce yourself. Um, if you've got any questions, then do, you know, ask away. Uh, we don't bite. Um, so, like I say, the more interaction we've got, you know, the nicer it's going to be. Um, so, yeah, so, no, brilliant. I think it's a really good kind of intro in terms of what we're, in terms of where we're going from. So, let's go into kind of injury then. I think, you know, that's what the, the main reason why we're here. So, um, give us an insight in terms of, you know, some of the injuries that you see in, in, in terms of what you've got and perhaps, you know, your kind of management systems and what you might have in place. Yeah, I think <clears throat> the majority of the individuals I work with injury-wise, I'd have to say come from sports in terms of injury. 
Um, I think if we talked in terms of pain, that would come from your general physical preparedness population outside of elite sport. So in terms of in terms of managing injury, uh, we've got these phases that people go through. We've got when the injury happens um, or we've also got later stages. So time down the line from injury. And so the majority of my guys and girls that I coach are basketballers and there's just a hell of a lot of foot ankle issues that can cause issues elsewhere but predominantly you'll just see non-impact injury of the ankle the knee um lots of risk to ligaments tendons um and a lot of the time we will manage their sort of return to play in their late stages of rehab for those things and then there's lots of lots of different elements to consider with if we take the ankle on its own um that's what i'm dealing with the most at the moment there's a hell of a lot of things to consider with the simple fact of someone rolling over on their ankle from from jumping um or landing there's a there's a hell of a lot to consider in terms of getting them back to the level they were at before their injury and even getting them to a stage where they're more robust down the line. So they actually feel more confident using that ankle than, than before their injury. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's physical elements to that and there's, there's physical progressions that we go through in terms of the exercises but there's also elements of of pushing those psychological barriers and manipulating those as well to get someone to pre-injury state, especially in basketball, which is if you've ever watched it, you've seen how quick those guys move and how quickly they're like eight, nine feet in the air. Um, some of them can do ridiculous things, but that comes with a real great risk of injury as well. So you want them to be confident to do those things as well. Um, how would you, I think just touching on that psychological thing, because again, that's a, a big thing in terms of fear of re-injury, how do you maybe, um, how, how do you, how do you work that into kind of your rehab and stuff? Because again, there are a lot of people here, I'm sure, you know, we treat a lot of people and they have that anxiety or, uh, fear of re-injury, even despite the, the injury being gone and they're stronger, you know, what kind of things are in place? So I think with with re-injury, if we stay on the ankle quickly, the, yeah. the ankle is sort of part of the body where we're looking at contacting the ground. So we're looking at absorbing force whenever we walk, run, jump, change direction. We're going to need to use that ankle. So there's no there's no way to get around it. And if we want to perform at the level we did before the injury, we want to be able to feel confident using it. Mm -hmm. So strength and conditioning if we're looking at those simple elements it's let's get it stronger um that would be maximal output it would also be repeated output and it would also be a long sustained output so you're looking at that variation of high load low reps high reps low load um and also a mixture of speeds so mm -hmm. fast slow um and I think if you're looking at getting someone confident to get back to any sport, so running is involved or movement or contact with the ground is involved, you want to get them 
doing some form of action with the foot up and down mm-hmm. where they contact, they absorb force and they produce force as early as possible um, and make them feel as comfortable doing it as early as possible so that when I want them to run again, it doesn't feel like they've gone from doing back squats and single leg squats to then being let's run. And it's been, it's been two months since they've ran because they've wanted to rest. So mm-hmm. let's get, let's get them doing some form of contact with the ground as early as possible. And the confidence will come with time with that. Mm-hmm. No, good. And, and I suppose we're just teetering around it. So what is the ideal around getting that force production absorption yeah, a, bit of a, a bit of a like self self intro there wasn't it i guess <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i wish we could change that conversation for a minute but <laughs> <laughs> you no know, naturally like you know informed so how would you do that in terms of in yeah rehabilitation so contact in the ground is something i think it's just something that i'm really interested in throughout but i feel like working with lots of different individuals they all have to contact the ground a lot of the time so plyometrics would be uh a broad term for exercises with a quick absorb and produce force on the ground. So we're looking at really short periods of time where you're actually in contact with the ground. Um, There's a lot of controversy over what is a plyometric um, and what is an explosive exercise and what is a jump. Um, if you do certain exercises slower, do they change from plyometric to jump? Uh, There's loads of work on it and loads of research on it. And there's a lot recently being done where sort of plyometric training can be considered as these short, fast contractions on on the ground. Um, But there needs to be some sort of, there's a few boxes to tick for it to be a plyometric in a simple way. Um, some people may do a jump from two legs to two legs, um, and it not be classified as a plyometric, for example, it would just be a jump. Um, I don't know how far to go down that rabbit hole of what is a plyometric, to be honest. (laughs) I think the easy way to, to, to maybe demonstrate is fast and slow stretch shortening cycle, isn't it? Yeah. And when you're going to put that in is depending on what color you wanted to, to, to to develop isn't it um so i suppose so far short short stretch cycle is then being able to load up slowly and load up fast and repeatedly hit the ground whereas a slow stretch cycle is about slowly producing that force and then rounding am i right Mm. yeah so you can think about like short stretch shortening cycles relate quite nicely to ground contact times as well so Mm -hmm. if you think about a really quick contact with the ground you're looking at a fast stretch shortening cycle but if you're looking at someone running it's a lot slower contact than someone uh jumping mm-hmm. and that would be a slower contraction time um mm-hmm. slow stretch shortening cycles um but yeah i think introducing plyometrics really early getting someone feel really confident on the on the injured and the non-injured side and plyometrics work really nicely because we don't have to go from laying on a bed to standing up jumping. We can actually introduce plyometrics while someone is still lying down, still not necessarily struggling to weight bear, but they're, they're no longer inflamed. They're no longer experiencing sort of 
severe or, or even moderate to severe swelling. There's definitely no bruising or anything like that involved. Once you're able to walk and wait there, you don't want someone to feel like they've got to go from that to running straight away if running is the end goal. Um, and you can do that lying, you can do it against a wall. There's there's all sorts of different options there that you can you can go down depending on the injury or the area of injury. Mm -hmm. No, brilliant. No, good. That's a really good kind of demonstration from that. And I think there's plenty of runners in this group. Um, so we'll have a runner. We'll have loads of runners. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of, I suppose you know, time frame is going to be different depending on the severity of the goal. In terms of, let's look at an ankle sprain, for example. If someone's rolled their ankle, what is the ideal the ideal process for someone to to think about to do? I think it would be a quite a good thing. Yeah. To I think, yeah, with with an ankle, um, I guess if we've initially dressed swelling, um, bruising, and real sort of like stiffness and lack of range. So if we're taking someone from they can you can walk again, you're weight bearing again, walking fairly freely. The idea to start with is to get some idea of its fancy term would be proprioception for me. So you want to get the ankle aware of where it is in space. So that's naturally and, and consistently striking the ground um, in an action that mimics the untrained side. So we're not looking for something perfect. We're just looking for what looks like the, un, the, the uninjured side, should I say, or the other side to the injury. Once someone's got a good idea, so they've potentially done some single leg balances on a variety of surfaces at the same time as doing just a simple single leg balance you could also get someone against a wall say the end goal is to run they could do a wall hold so they bring their knee up into a sprinting position so they've got a hip bend and a knee bend mm -hmm. and they've got their toe raised as well so they've got 90 degrees at all hip knee and ankle what you can then do is slightly elevate the heel that's on the ground. And let's say this is the injured ankle. If you just hold that position naturally in itself, it can mimic some form of tension that you're experiencing running. And then naturally, as you progress through those two things, so we've got long holds against a wall in a sprinting pattern, and then we've just got a simple single leg hold. You could also be doing calf raises at this time. Um, once someone feels comfortable holding a position and they can get a good awareness of where their foot is in space, you now want to get someone used to absorbing force on that ankle. So first off, we would start doing that laying on the ground and doing a glute bridge, mm -hmm. but doing it with, we would call this a pogo pattern. So an up down of the ankle almost like a pogo stick hitting the ground, absorbing force and then bouncing back up again. And you can do that in a glute bridge position, but you can also do that up against the wall in that mm -hmm. same sprinting position. Um, this is where you can get really creative or really sport specific. So I've had guys literally just doing hopscotch, like the childhood game. Nice. Um, we've had guys like playing TIG in the gym Um stuck in the mud but you can only move by doing a single leg pogo hop or, or things like that you can get super creative um 
the idea once you can absorb force is to then produce force. So once you can do a pogo hop or a hold against a wall combined with a slight pogo hop, we want to start producing force now. So we could do uh, a broad jump test or a box jump, basically something where the focus is more on producing force than absorbing it. Um, anything where you jump up onto an item is really nice because it reduces the force that you absorb. Um, so box jumps are really nice early on. Get someone really happy just pushing off the ground and not really having to think too much about what they do landing. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, once they're able to produce force well, we're then looking at managing force. And this is where it gets really sports specific at the same time. So if you're wanting to run, we're looking at the running pattern and breaking that down into, into actions. Mm -hmm. um, and strength and conditioning works really nicely here because we have to work really, really hard to make guys faster. So we spend a hell of a lot of time looking at sprinting mechanics. So if someone doesn't feel confident on their ankle at this stage, we're looking at how does that change their bigger pattern of running? Um, if it's a basketballer, how does that change their bigger pattern of jumping? Um, and managing force is where the, the page on Instagram, if you wanted to have a look, would be plus plyos. It'd be a little plug here um for mr watson what it, what he's managed to do in his phd so far in that he's producing on plyometrics is put out a little bit of categorization of 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 plyometrics so mm -hmm. you can then go through a progression of leaps and hops and bounds um hopscotches and gallops and things like that before mm -hmm. you then eventually do what i would call fast force so that's just the action of, of running or sprinting or jumping at the end Mm -hmm. amazing that's a big context i love it i think you know and i think it can be quite overwhelming for for people to understand it and often that we see in the clinic especially in recreational parts of of uh sports is people roll their ankle and then they go straight back to running right and immediately i've seen so many people do it and there's chronic problems there that start to arise and it's like oh yeah well i've just got glass ankles i can just live with it or they're taping it up so there's literally no movement whatsoever. Um, and, and, and I think, it's, you know, trying to path that way is there, there is steps towards this and regressing it. And I think there's more of a, more of a way of people want more coaching around that aspect nowadays. Isn't mm. it? So, yeah. The big one there you mentioned, uh, working with any court-based athlete, it seems, basketball, tennis, volleyball, they love strapping. They just, they adore straps ankle straps, wrist straps, elbow guards. They love rugby. them all. Yeah, rugby as well. They love yeah. it. Yeah. Just, just get it on, smack it on and get on the pitch and, and do it. I think Chris just come up and just said he's never done that before. <laughs> I'm guessing he's thinking, uh, I don't know whether that's the taping or just jumping past rehab stages, Chris. So you'll have to let us know. Um, if it's the, Chris, if it's the jumping past rehab stages, I've done it. I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have it. And I think until you're actually... We've been shown that kind of model and actually the effectiveness, not only for rehabilitation, but that performance enhancement is, mm. is crazy. You know, I had um, Lindsay, who is a member of this group, and I hope she doesn't mind me saying, but she came in with a double Achilles tendinopathy. So on both, and it was insurgional as well, which is a bit trickier to rehab, right? Okay. Um, and it meant we had to take her right all the way out or running because she couldn't even walk pain free. 
And then it's taking that development approach and, and to bring in that rehabilitation coming in. And now, you know, she's running around. She's done three. I've got her on the whiteboard, actually. That's actually her year training program. That is a, what a coincidence. That is amazing. That's it. Yeah. You know, she, we did three, one, two, three, three, uh, two half marathons and a 30 kilometer in September. Uh, and that is from following that real stage. You know, I'm guessing you've seen some of these, especially in basketball, is the Achilles tendon is once it's gone, it's a, a bigger, a bit of a bugger to get rid of. Yeah. Isn't it? Speaking, speaking to a guy today about his Achilles tendon, actually, we worked together for about six months. So he was, he was off court and he didn't really understand why he could start an activity and do some activities okay, but afterwards they'd, it'd be horrific. The, t- the the telltale sign for a tendon injury once it's warmed up it's all, it's all right and then it's kicks you in the backside doesn't it from that yeah um, that's good I, so um, go on yeah no i've just seen chris's message about mass magic tape i wonder if this is tape that has magical powers or if this is um like k tape <laughs> i'm listening to tape with, with yeah um so have, have you used it have you explored it opinions on it yeah, I think um, with any with any adjunct in rehab specifically, so like magic tape, K-tape is used for both performance and rehab. Um, and I think with any with any adjunct like that, it's going to work for some people and it's not going to work for others. And there's there's a huge element of I think magic's a really nice word here, because if you believe in the magic of the magic tape, it's going to have more of an impact on you than if you didn't believe in the magic of the magic tape. Um, but that works for anything that you do, which I think is so cool for me from a physio, but also strength conditioning side is that if someone buys into what they're doing, then they're going to get better results out of it. But if they don't buy in, then they're going to get worse results. Um, in terms of managing specific injuries and things like that with the magic tape i think you'd probably be better to talk on that than me rory um i think think, yeah i'm very skeptic in it and one purely because i don't like people to be too too relying on 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 that thing and it's like anything you know massage in terms of research doesn't necessarily show significant benefit of doing it but then so does the same as K-tape. They've not found it to be to advantage in some areas, but then somewhere it has. I think it comes down to the individual. I use it if someone is not very confident, i.e. walking on a sprained ankle or being able to push through that calf or Achilles tendon if it's there. So that tape gives a, a bit of sensory, so a bit of pain gate theory, so it makes them get rid of that pain for a little bit longer as well as that treatment. But it very, very quickly try to keep them away from having it all the time because they become reliant on it and think they're probably too weak without it when really it's not making you any stronger or perceiving it um but it's really great for distilling some kind of confidence back into someone who's been dealing with a bit of pain um mm. and stuff like that so yeah in terms of it chris use add try it as you will um if you find it works great if it doesn't work then you know you've not lost anything as, as such from there um that's kind of my main thing uh yeah i would say with magic you always got to be careful with magic i've always been told that since a young age so (laughs) 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 you can't use it all the time because obviously you've got to be cautious with your magical powers i think with uh do you know adam meekins yeah 
Yeah, so again, you just can't go wrong getting strong. I think that's certainly one of his good things uh, to go on that he uses on there. Yeah. Um, no, excellent. Um, okay, I've just got a couple of notes just uh, coming on here. So um, I always ask people when they come on here, why do you do what you do? Big old question. <laughs> um, I think simply, I think if I spoke really, there's been a part of me recently where I want to say the the like child within me is almost there screaming like, do more of this or do do this instead of this um and that's because i i was the kid at like 14 who just did everything he like read in a magazine because we didn't really use social media much for our information then but it was just like if i saw someone doing something i wanted to do then i'm gonna try and copy what they do mm. and i realized at university very quickly that what we see most people do is awful. <laughs> um, it's just, it's not great. Um, simply because what someone else is doing, it's never going to be the best thing for you. But also the population in general, me included, we're so influenced by what we see that those people who are higher up or better performers might be like your super athletes they do things that we could never dream of so the training and the strength conditioning they do is very different to what uh, anyone else looks at needing to do or wanting to do so there's an element of me being younger and wanting to scream at younger bradley and say you can just do this this stuff you really enjoy and you do it following these rules and laws and you'll actually get the result you want really quickly rather than trying one thing this week and then jumping to something the week later because you saw someone else try it. Um, the other thing is just because I just love, I love helping people um, find their potential. So if someone doesn't feel like they can do something, it might be performance or rehab or even just, I don't feel like I can be the sort of person who does exercise regularly that for me is so fulfilling um giving someone the tools to go out and and do what they they aspire to do is massive okay there you go if no one's going to come and get some coaching from you then i don't i don't know what's going to happen no that's good and i think you kind of touched on that and i think it's very important you know people we all see, you know, whether it's an athlete on the TV or it's someone out, and you know, you're on a park run. I see it all the time, and they're fascinating me. I'm like, damn it, what am I doing? I couldn't do anything. But they don't see what it is that's behind behind closed doors, and that is sacrifice. I think I did a recent post on it. It's sacrificing time. It's putting that extra work in, being committed when you don't want to be doing it. Mm. Uh, and it's and and it's comparing yourself to others, but for them to be at the level they're at. It's taking them a lot longer than you think it has, and they're they're, put, they're being consistent and turning up. Um, and it's I think it's such an important thing, such as running. You know, we've all been there. You know, you've been been on the bench because you've been injured, and you're just hating watching your own team play and being angry, right? And same as lots of runners, they come in, they've pulled something. Oh, I can't run. The running clubs on this day, and it's just you know, keep focused, short term. You'll be back in there before you know it. 
Yeah, that was younger Bradley. Like you've just described him there. He was on the athletics track after playing football five days that week. He's now on the athletics track three days a week. His Achilles hurts, his groin hurts. He's had adapted training and he hates it. Mm. Um, but he's also going to his leisure centre gym trying to um, look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> But he's he's failing miserably because he doesn't understand what to do. <laughs> um, I yeah. think it's um, I think this would probably be a good thing to carry on to, and I think that's that overreaching or overtraining. Oh, yeah. maybe it's another podcast or uh, live we're going to do. But I think it's got a good thing in terms of what we're looking at. You know, people are escaping a lot of things right now and replacing this with pushing themselves in training through classes through doing multiple different things. Um, and what do you find is is difficult in terms of explaining this to, to, to clients? Yeah, I think it's, it's a really good question, actually. Um, I think overreaching, overtraining, there's a huge discussion around what those two things are. I guess that comes more from a research side than anything else. Um, mm -hmm. If anyone is interested in that, um, Lee Bell's a lecturer at Sheffield Haddam University, and he's produced a lot of research recently on overreaching and overtraining and done a lot of work to talk to coaches and individuals about the term overtraining, because I think it gets thrown around a lot in people say, I'm overtraining, I'm training too much. But those two things can mean very different things because mm -hmm. um, overtraining can be is a very sort of like specific state. Um, managing someone who is looking to do too much or looking to do too much too soon, I guess it's a, like compulsion, isn't it? It's a, it comes from something sort of more more than the physical. Mm. Um, with any compulsion or or anything like that, there's something driving it. So for me, initially, it's what's driving that X. So is it? going to a fitness class and being hyper-focused on calorie burned during the session? Um, or is it from nutrition, um, goals of losing weight under heavy restriction? And, and is that coming from a key driver? Um, often that involves a lot of discussions with wider members of our team as well, where we can sort of like, do a mini referral to have discussions over elements that arise when you're really looking at what's driving someone's sort of like um, compulsion to do. It's not that the compulsion is wrong, like eating isn't wrong or fitness classes aren't wrong. They're actually great things. Um, but actually, if they're in excess, um, there's probably a driver of that excess. Um, mm. Might be a thought process. You never know. That compulsion is a. I'm not. I've not thought of it like that, but that's a, a great way of ex explaining it. And it's about peeling it apart, isn't it? And finding out what it is that's really driving this, you know. Um, and then trying to bring that on. I had a recent client, and she's coming in, and her knees hurting, her wrists hurting, her shoulders hurting. I'm like, right, okay, let's have a look at. Let's look. Let's break down your week. What's your training? She was um, doing something like five hit classes a week. She was training for a half marathon and she was also getting PT'd as well. 
<laughs> and there's a straight red, you know, red alarm. It's like, right, that's the problem. Your knee, your wrist, your shoulder isn't the problem. So let's find out what what's 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 driving this, and then how can we regress it? So you're still meeting mm. what you want, but also making sure. And I think she was on 1,200 calories as well. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love it when clients come in and they just want to go, 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 go. They just want to like. It's it's much nicer to work with a client who is keen to go, 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 than the opposite side of the coin, which is the one who wants bringing up and wants to do more like if you want to go seven days a week you're a better person than i and there's an understanding of work hard but also what's more important is like let's let's work smart here so i would say the most common thing i do with an individual who has trained for a long period before they come into coaching with me is we'll have a look at what they've been doing and see why that's not helped them achieve their goals. And often what they've done is when they've not seen results, they've added in an extra day or they've added in extra exercises. Mm. And it, it comes under this flawed belief, I guess, for me, which is that more more is more or more is better. Uh, because actually, if you're, if you're training for a goal, let's say run a marathon or squat 200 kilograms, Let's not talk about marathons. <laughs> let's say, um, yeah, let's let's go let's go jump a certain height. I'm That's joking. You can do. You can talk about marathons. <laughs> um, you want to you want to be able to have a um, an indication of of what what you're going to get to um, as well. Mm. So yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult one though. It is, yeah uh what's riff says so overtraining used to be my speciality the mindset of it is really interesting for me mental health impact yeah. on it you miss too stress in the head put stress yeah, in the yeah i agree yeah. i think there's ever more of it right now as well right? in whatever yeah. population we're looking at i think like there's a huge part of of coaching strength and conditioning rehab if you're if you're involved in health there's always going to be a huge part of your job which revolves around stress. Um, and I realise stress in the head puts stress on the body too, uh, which is really, really important to remember because you need to be able to adapt your physical schedule, your exercise, your training around your mental stress as well as your, your work, your play, your commitments. But also you've got to remember, which is often what people do forget is that stress in the body puts stress in the head. Um, exercise is like a huge form of relief for people. It is for me a huge part of my what builds who I am and how I feel. But also it has a huge impact on, on the brain and on the mind. Um, many, many of them are positive, but actually a lot of the positive ones require you to manage the exercise well. So if you're not managing the activity you're doing and you're doing it frequently, like your, your client doing it six, seven days a week, like she's poorly managing that six days a week, that's not going to have a good impact on her, on her personality, on her mental and physical performance, I would mm -hmm. imagine. Um, and that's where like this overreaching, overtraining can become a bit of a minefield because overtraining you can you can now begin to get good measures of and good ideas of if someone mm. is 
overtrained, but overreaching, you could just get a simple wellness score. Sometimes it could just be, how do we feel out of 10? And I was about to go into that. What do you use these? What models do you use in terms of making it aware? Or what could people create on themselves that might be like a good one? Oh, this is so we've got a lovely one. So if you're if you're feeling stressed or you feel like something medical, something mental is impacting the physical. So you feel stress, sleep, uh, energy levels are impacting your physical performance. There's a really, really easy way to get a good grasp of what's going on. So key measures, how long do you sleep and what's the quality of that sleep? So the quality would be a measure. I like out of eight. So a, a score out of eight or out of 11, what was the quality of that sleep and how long was it? What you're also going to do is when you wake up, score your energy level, but that that can be the same measure as your sleep quality. Um, if you don't want to do it, just, just do sleep quality. After that, you want to have some form of easy to perform marker that can give you a quick gauge of performance. Um, so if you're a runner, for example, you may use um, an isometric hold um, in a lunge position. So if you do any running sport, you might do an isometric lunge hold. And because you could hold that for as long as possible and not feel huge amounts of fatigue from it afterwards, you might just do when you wake up and feel a bit rough, you might go and do, oh, before I train today, I'm going to make sure I do an isometric lunge hold. And if that is significantly lower than when I normally do it, I know that something is impacting my physical performance. Mm. Now that might be your drive to train that day, but you can go and look at your four point marker of what was my sleep, how long, what was the quality of my sleep. And then if those two things are fine, so you've, you've got a seven plus eight plus hours of sleep, quality is good six seven or above whatever then if those two things are fine and you're still impacting with the physical performance aspect maybe there's stresses through the day maybe mm -hmm. that soreness that pain is a bit more than you actually experience um and we can get really sort of specific with athletes with certain pieces of equipment um but if you're at home and you you do play sport I would advise getting some form of tool to measure your jump height. So there's an app called My Jump, and there's an app called Measure My Vert. Um, My Jump has a fair amount of research behind it, actually, with its yeah, accuracy. Um, mm -hmm. But if you use if you use a simple jump height measure from My Jump, for example, and you use the boundaries of say ten to fifteen percent. So if you jump 20 centimeters and you regularly can produce 20-ish centimeters within 10%, if you come in one day and you're jumping 15, 14 below, then you know something's going on. Um, you can, If you tie that in with your measure of sleep stress, you've got a really simple but actually quite detailed measure of, of what your readiness is state is mm -hmm. no that's good and what 
potentially something upper body wise? So, or what would you say for yeah. someone that's doing for hit classes, for example? Yeah. So I think if you're, if you're frequently in fitness classes, um, for me, the, the big measure that you're going to want to get a hold of is resting heart rate. Mm. So if you're frequently doing intense work, so that could be intense sprints, could be a spin class, it could be uh, hit circuits, burpees, squats, jumps, push-ups, presses, the whole lot. Um, you want to have an idea of what's a normal resting heart rate for you. So ideally, we want to see it fall definitely below 60 I'm a bit harsher to a lot of my clients and I'm looking for 50 ish. Um, but if it's dramatically changed from resting, so if your resting's around 60 and you're waking up for your fifth hit class of the week and your resting heart rate that morning is 98, 102, you may want to have a think about what's going on. In, the, mm. in your body are we still recovering from hit class number one of the week at hit class number five um resting heart rate is really easy to gather you can get a really good measure with a chest strap that you can actually get quite street got quite cheap now um but if you're not too fussed about your accuracy and you're just using it as a has it dramatically changed today um a smartwatch, uh the old school fingers under the jaw pulse pulse on your wrist and of ways, right yeah, yeah. Over 60, 60 seconds yeah yeah so you can do it recommended to do it over the full 60 seconds um a lot of people will do like 20 seconds and times it by three um because your heart rate can vary a little bit and that changes the pulse just do it over the minute just don't um don't let it impact it over time but yeah, rest in heart rate. If not rest in heart rate, you want to just have a wellness wellness tracker. Um, Chris has called it a daily mood tracker, which is ex exactly what I'm talking about there. Um, you've got an idea of what, how do you normally feel when you wake up? How do you normally feel before you go to exercise? They're two things I would recommend anyone has. And that's one of the things that I've taken from work with sports teams um football teams and basketball teams are massive on managing the work someone does through the week because they don't make the money for the team during the week they make it on the saturday or sunday um they want them like if you've been to a professional football club or rugby club they work really hard through the week but the guys paying them they're they're making them work as hard through the week but it only matters if they can perform on game day and I like to give that view to the general population of you can train really hard and work really hard, but if you can't wake up, feel good and go to work or make your kids breakfast or, I don't know, actually coach other people. Go and pick yourself off the ground without crippling yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like remember where, remember where the money's made, like the money's made on game day and that game day mm -hmm. might be every day monday to friday nine to five um you might have five game days through the week um so you've got to think about where your energy goes and how you use it as well mm -hmm. no 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 it's solid and i think that's, that's kind of what i say to people if they're got a park run on the weekend then you need to create that like a competition right yeah and manage your weekly load in terms of okay that's your training for that weekend so make sure you're 
if you know you rested well the night before all these kind of things as well um no it's good um so i think we've we've, we've definitely gone through pretty much on our list is there anything else you'd like to kind of discuss or share um before um, we start to wrap up i don't know i think i think there's something that i'll come back to which is the use of of plyometrics i guess so mm. a, a big thing to take away for me is that far too many people take the leap from sitting or walking to immediately running or sprinting but there's there's a lot you can do in between those those two two points um injured day one day two you might be looking at things really specific to that injury and for the length of time will relate to the severity of your injury but just remember that once you can walk there's probably there's probably a plyometric you can do so if you're walking around there's probably a plyometric progression you can do that's going to get you running or sprinting quicker um that could be for someone who's not looking to get back to sport if you want to walk and have the capacity to jog and run at some point um you probably want to keep on top of some form of of plyometric movement and use that in your regular training so don't just save it for when you're injured it takes five minutes to do a few hops a few skips a few bounds and leaps before you train and it's actually a really nice way to warm up um and, and and get all the benefits of a good warm-up as well at the same time so just bring it back to plyometrics and that that will be that will be it for me i think we've covered a hell of a lot today mm -hmm. um a lot of stuff sparked my thoughts as well. So a lot for me to take away from it, if no one else. No, no, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. It's, uh, no, you know, it's, um, I think Chris, Chris, Chris has just said, you know, great chat. So thanks, Chris, for, for joining us. Um, you, know, you know, there's plenty of things that people can certainly take away and start to draw upon, reflecting on their own performance, their own fatigue status, you know, their own rehabilitation, if they're not looking to get help. Um, then they've obviously got some material there. And I think that's the core principle around this group is providing them with some good, honest, practical feedback that's obviously evidence-led as well and to go on there. So thank you very much for, for joining us, Bradley. Um, just a quick little plug for yourself then. Where are you? Where can people contact you? Where's best to find material and stuff from you? Um, you know, yeah, of course. Um, so the, the best place to find me would be on Instagram, um, but you can also get us on facebook so that would be at fit for function um, if you just search fit for function as well you'll get taken to our website if you do that on google um, the website is where we post our more in-depth uh, discussion so if you're interested in things like what i've spoken about today you probably want to head over to the blog on the website because that's where i give any sort of depth of education it will all go onto the blog but the instagram is full of content from anything that covers exercise, nutrition, or recovery. It's, it's all on there. If you want a program, um, you can get one-to-one -one coaching with me, um, or you can access our 20 week, uh, performance program looking at explosive performance as well, but you'll find all of that on the Instagram page. Um, any rehab needs, go and see Rory. That's a plug for you. <laughs> nice, <laughs> <laughs> 